Just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Through 25 seasons, hey! 4,561 episodes, I believe The Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The LOLs, the moments that mattered. The eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. What is the most painful, disappointing relationship in your life? Is it with your husband, with your children, with your parents? And why has loving caused you so much misery instead of pleasure? That's a wonderful question to ponder for your life. If you can't remember the last time you really felt real, deep down happiness, Today's show could teach you how to finally get the love you want. You wanted to say what? I have came from alcoholic parents, and they were never there for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I in turn became an alcoholic and mentally abused my daughter. Mm -hmm. And I'm just now starting to find out about myself, and by reading John Bradshaw's books, what can you say? Can you answer that question? When is the last time you felt real, deep down, soulful love? Just with my daughter. With your daughter? When's the last time you felt? I actually just threw my daughter now, and I think that I just had a baby nine months ago, and I think that's brought on a lot of, of what she's going through, too, and seeing how it's such a generational thing, and it's passed on and passed on, and, you know. What did you want to say at the microphone? I was just, I don't really know what love is, and... I've never really experienced it. It's most of the time love has been, for me, painful. It's rage, just a lot of rage and pain. That's. Are there people that you think you love? Well, I love my kids, but it really affects me and my marriage. Mm -hmm. I'd love, I'd like to love my husband, but we just, it's just a lot of pain and rage all the time. Did you think you loved him when you married him? Yeah. When you said I do. 
Yeah. Okay. But now you find out that what you thought was love really wasn't love. Right. Well, my guest helps people across this country find the love they need. But as most of us uh, did, he endured years of painful love himself. When he was 10 years old, he was abandoned by his alcoholic father and shortly after that became a drunk himself. And now he believes that he has found the way to make all of our relationships better. His book is called Creating Love, The Next Great Stage of Growth. Meet the best-selling author himself, John Bradshaw. One of the things you talk about in creating love is this whole idea that we don't even know what it is to begin with, mystification. Well, yeah, it, it dawned on me one day that you can ask anybody, what, what is love, and almost anybody will tell you an answer. And yet, when you ask people, they say, I want love more than anything in my life, but do you have it? The answer will be no. Uh, or at least in major areas of their life. So it dawned on me in my own life. I woke up at 42 and I'd quit drinking and I was, you know, Mr. 12 Steps and yet my relationships weren't working. Hmm. My kids were scared of me because I periodically raged at them. Uh, my ex-wife used to say, it doesn't matter what I do, you're going to be angry. Uh, and I was confused. I was seriously confused. And I realized that the self I had, the good guy, caretaker, star self, just didn't work. But there was a, a notion of love that went with that. That love was basically taking care of people. That's what I thought. Isn't that what most of us think? That love is taking care of people, yeah? And, and well, what I found out is that love, it, part of love may be taking care of people. That may be an aspect of love. But, but there's a kind of mystification where we get a rigid notion based on what we were taught. Why would you challenge what your mother taught you or your daddy taught you? Uh, why would you challenge what you learned in Sunday school as a little child? Uh, so, so everybody's carrying a kind of hypnotic notion of love that in lots of ways doesn't work for them, but that we still keep operating on. So what's this thing you call mystified love? Well, basically, it's based on a confusion about myself. Like, like I can think of a couple, they were the happiest two people I've ever seen, got married six months, they're divorcing. I think of a woman married 41 years, tells me she sleeps with her husband every day, but they haven't kissed in 25 years. And I say, well, you know, and, and how bad he treats her. And I say, well, why do you stay with him? Because I love him. And I mean, I could just, I've given lots of examples of that in the book of, of what I called mystified love. That somehow, if love isn't producing growth, if it doesn't have some kind of spiritual growth, expansion, then why would we want it so much? I mean, if it's long-suffering and if it's duty and obligation and it's not free, like I grew up thinking love is easy. One day you'll find the right person and then you'll get married and it'll be smooth sailing. You know, how many of you believe that? Uh, uh, it, it isn't. When you get married, that's when all the trouble starts, uh, right? You know, I used to say to people, you don't think you're codependent? Get married and let us see you after five years. Well, John Bradshaw uh, says that most of us were taught the wrong meaning of love, and that's what is messing us up. And it's one of those things, I think, that we all sort of take for granted, what love is. You just think, well, love is, you know, just kind of love, you know? You have somebody who loves you. Yeah, that, that, that's what occurred to me, that everybody thinks they know what it is. What I think we all do is we learn a way of mattering in our family. Like, the primary way I learned to matter was by being a caretaker and being a super achiever. Yeah. Now, that's what, for years, I thought was love. Yeah. If I'm taking care of you, I'm lovable. 
Yeah. And if I'm being a star, I'm lovable, but right. somehow that wasn't working. Right. Okay, so what's your definition of love? Well, he's scaring me. I just got married Saturday. So. Okay. Love is putting someone else's needs above your own. That's yours, okay? Yes, ma'am. Love is giving of your whole self regardless of what you get in return? Hmm. Yes. As I know it, love is to give without getting much in return. That is how I was taught. For me, love is to give, especially to my husband and my children. Yes? Love is enduring, long-suffering, caring, and passion. That's what I get for love. Long-suffering? Long-suffering. <laughs> okay. I, I guess the question is, do Doesn't those... Doesn't seem like much joy is in there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Long and, and, suffering. And, and in all yeah. honesty, yeah. those are the definitions I expected to hear. Really? Uh, do, do, do those definitions work for you in your life? Does that really work? Does that really... Are you, are you uh, satisfied? Yeah. Miss Long Suffering, yeah. Are you satisfied with that? <laughs> Does that work for you, John was saying? Yes, it has. It's working for me. It works for you? Yes. Okay, so you feel happiness and fulfillment and love from that? Yes. Okay, yes. Okay. Yes, I do too. Okay. I really do. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't want to argue with anybody that's happy. You know, that's, <laughs> that's the last thing we want to do. I've had people come up in workshops and say, there's something wrong with me. I had a happy childhood, you know. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we're not trying to make you have a, a not happy childhood. But in those definitions, there was nothing about growth. There was nothing about self-love. Uh, self-valuing, expansion, and maybe that's happening in your life. Because does it work for you, too? It works for you? The, well, your definition works for you. Great. She just got married. Yeah, you just got so. married. We yeah. want to see you in five years. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but I think the idea here is that, uh, for me, giving up myself didn't work. I mean, I felt lovable when I was giving up myself and being a caretaker. I went to be a priest. I became a therapist. I was counseling 75 hours a week. But whenever there was no way to mood alter, to, to do the activity of caretaking, I felt depressed, I felt lonely, I felt sad within myself. Can some of you identify with that? It said to me that this, this definition is too one-sided. One of the things you say in creating love is that mystified love is when you create this whole self because whoever you were, and you do this early in your childhood, whoever you were wasn't good enough. So you made yourself into somebody else that would please the rest of the world, your family, your... But yes. that, could, that happens, John, so early that you spend so much time being that other person that after, you know, so long, that's who you think you are. <clears throat> that's exactly it. And then you think you know who you are and you don't know that you don't know who you are, if, if you can go with that one, folks. You don't know that you don't know. I think I'm this good guy, people-pleasing, caretaker, and I am in public, but I'm not at home. At home, every six months, I go into a rage, and I scream and holler, and I beat the table. You know, somebody said, you can't know a person outside of their hut. You know, an old Malaysian saying. Uh, and it's that raging that, you know, love is baffling. It can, an evening can start out wonderful. It can end with somebody trying to jump out of the car. I've had that happen. Uh, it can end with the door slamming and screaming at each other. Uh, 90%, some, some high percentage of domestic homicides are about lovers. I mean, we kill the people we love. Mm -hmm. So this is a very powerful emotion. What do you want to ask? That's what I was wondering with, you feel like you give so much all the time, but yet then you get so angry after a well, while, and then you push everybody away. That's what happened to me. Like, I would go on vacations. I'd have these wonderful vacations for the family, but I would suddenly go into a pout, and, and they'd say, what's the matter? And I wouldn't know what was the matter. 
I'd say nothing, nothing's the matter. But I wouldn't talk to anybody. And what it was about is that I wasn't getting my needs met. Now, if it's love, both of you are going to get your needs met. My belief is that one of you won't just be sacrificing everything Long to the other suffering. one. Long-suffering. Long-suffering. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but see, that's what's very interesting to me about a lot of these definitions. If you've lived your whole life giving, 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 you, in many ways, I think a lot of people don't even think they deserve to get anything in return. Absolutely. And so they become content and call that contentment happiness because, because that's what's comfortable to them. And what you grow up with you think is normal. Yes. Just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Uh, what if you grew up and, and never got loved, never had love your whole life? and felt abandoned, and when you got married and had kids, you did the same thing to those kids. Well, you see, the problem of mystification is that we reenact it. We either do to our children what were done to us or just the opposite. Like, like I tended not to put any structure with my kids because I didn't want them to go through the pain I went through. But just the opposite is not good either. Creates see, the same either problems, extreme yeah. is polarized, and what I'm going to suggest is that soulful love is paradoxical, and polarity, that, that it's never all or nothing, it's always both and. And it's never always giving up everything on myself. I mean, we've got multi-generations of women that were treated as second-class citizens. The beating of women and children is an ancient and pervasive tradition. Not just the physical beating, but also the emotional beating. And, and a lot of this is coming from patriarchy, which is that power of one person over everybody else, and you must be obedient, and that's what's virtuous. And repress all emotions except fear, and crush your will at an early age. John talks a lot in his book, Creating Love, about soulful love. And now what I got from that was that you can experience love, true, really deep, heartfelt, soulful love, on many levels with many different people during, during the course of your life. And that a lot of people spend their times waiting on the one big thing, yes. the one big Mr. Special or Ms. Special to come into their life, but you could be feeling it all the time. Absolutely. It's like, like we think of the, the great examples of love, Mother Teresa, Schweitzer, and they are great examples. My mailman delivers the mail every day. He's got a limp. He, he comes rain or shine. He brings me wonderful letters from my kids. There's no mailman hall of fame. There's no mailman baseball cards. Uh, you know, there's no mailman cards. See, see, we've got this unrealistic expectation, and we miss the ordinary, everyday human stuff. Okay, John, what are, what are we going to do here? Okay, what we're going to do, I asked the audience ahead of time to write down some, some ways they felt hurt. And I suggested that, they, that you focus on your mother, not because mother's the villain, 
but because mother is the most dominant relationship in most of our lives. That may not be true of all of you. If you had a stepmother, if you had an adopted mother, it's the mother you had a relationship with. And the reason I want you to focus on the hurts is I want to do an exercise now. We tend to pick partners out of our hurts. So if I didn't get unconditional love from mother, I look for a woman who will give me unconditional love. But I find a woman just like mother. And that's the problem, is that we keep picking the same kind of people. Mystified love tends to be reenactment. We keep doing it over and over again. So I want to do an exercise where you separate from mother. And this is very dramatic, and I want it to be dramatic. I want an imprint on your brain of, an, of a dramatic thing, because the mother that we're separating from is the one the little child in you made into a goddess. This is not about your flesh and blood mother. So if your flesh and blood mother is actually deceased, I want you to still do the exercise, okay? So what I'd like you to do is to start, if you feel okay, closing your eyes. And if this is frightening to you, just don't do it. And anybody at home, I'd encourage you to just watch because I don't know where you are in your life with your own sort of stability or whatever. So if you just close your eyes and focus for a minute on your breathing. When we grow up in very stressful families, we learn to hold our breath and tighten our muscles and go into a trance called sensory numbing so we don't feel anymore. So, so learning to breathe, just let yourself deep breathe, like take a deep breath. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Hold it, one, two, three, four, and breathe it out. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And as you focus on breathing, notice, notice where you're sitting. Feel the contact with the chair. And as you feel the contact, just hear the soft lullaby music. And I want you to let that music take you back to some place that you remember with a source figure that taught you about love. I'm suggesting it be your mother or stepmother or adopted mother, but you go wherever you need to go. Who taught you about love? And just imagine you could see that person. You could see your mothering person standing there. Wherever the scene is, wherever you're going for yourself, And really take a look at her. What is she wearing? Look at her face. And now imagine that she's getting younger, that you could see this person as an adolescent girl, say. What does she look like as an adolescent girl? And then see her getting younger, that she's a pre-adolescent girl, she's a school-age girl. Maybe you see her with her lunch kit, or her school dress, or her school books. Notice what she looks like as a school-age girl. 
and, and then see her as a child, whatever age she appears to you, a little child. She may be barefooted, she may have shoes on. And just imagine you could sit down with her and ask her, Mother, why did you hit me all the time? Or why did you abandon me? Or why did you neglect me? Just ask her the things that you feel hurt about. And listen carefully for that little girl's answer. And just take whatever you get and, and just imagine that you now you're going to walk away from there. And as you walk away, you, you tell the child inside of you. You see, your mother is really just a little girl. She was just a wounded little girl in a lot of ways. That doesn't condone what she did, but it may help you to have compassion for her. She was just a little girl. She wasn't a goddess. She did the best that little girl could do in the light of her history. And now just imagine, just imagine that somehow you've heard a phone call, uh, you've gotten the news that your mother, your grown-up mother is dying and that you've got to hurry to get there and that you're getting there and you're walking into the room and you can see her laying there on her deathbed. And as you look at her, you see the eyes of that child looking up at you. And as you see the eyes of that child, hear the child say, I'm so, so sorry for the ways that I hurt you. And tell her, tell her you forgive her if you can do that. I forgive you, mother. I understand now you were just a wounded child. And walk out of that room, and you're going to feel some emptiness now as you walk out of that room. And just hear the song that Richard wrote and say goodbye. In your heart, say goodbye. Take a deep breath. Wiggle your fingers. Take another deep breath and just be back fully restored to your consciousness. So you said when you ended by saying, say goodbye, what are you saying goodbye to? Well, it's a separation. It's a symbolic separation. And I want to make it very dramatic because the child in us makes a goddess out of mother. And that's the reason we hold on to the belief about love that mother had. We get enmeshed with her and we carry without question that belief. So I want to make this very dramatic for you. Like people say, well, why do you have to have her on her deathbed? This is not the flesh and blood mother, by the way, that we're talking about here. It's the fantasy that we've created of mother as a goddess. An abused child will, will take a parent and make them into a good parent because they need a parent so badly. And so what we want to do is demythologize mom and dad and just see them as human. That's what we're trying to do. And also that until we forgive them and separate, we really can't grow up and have our own life. Yes, and that is also why I see time and time again on this show, I think, uh, women in particular do this, but some men do too, is that they're in adult bodies, but they really are still children, so attached to everything their mother said, even though what their mother said isn't working for them in their adult life. That's the mystification right there. It's a perfect definition of it. I mean, description of it. 
Okay. It's like, here I am, but I'm really still a child, and I'm really still trying to get mommy and daddy's love. See, the other piece is that we hold on to mother and daddy as an illusion that we will not die. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a heavy metaphysical piece, but one of the reasons, and, and that, that includes people who hate their parents. Like, if you hate your mom and dad and resent them, you've never left home. You're still bonded to them. Okay. What do you want to say? Um, I, I knew from early on, about three years old, that this is not how it's supposed to be. And um, so I grew up my whole life just trusting myself. And it was very painful going through this process because I also, in my own life, know that as a mother I had to forgive mistakes I make with my children. So it makes it much easier to identify that she was human and to feel her pain. And I really, really felt that and uh, explains a lot. Thank you for sharing that because, see, I, I made mistakes with my children too. All of us did because once we've, we've got this false notion of love, that's what we're going to teach our children too. Uh, the first two people that talked described the multi-generational pattern. I mean, this goes back through hundreds of years of patriarchy. What we're really at is a new consciousness. In the last, since Nuremberg, we've had the civil rights movement, the women's rights movement, the gay and lesbian rights movement, the adult child movement, which is a movement fighting for the rights of the child. Maria Montessori said there's no greater social problem than the oppression of children. Never was a person's rights any more denied than a child. We're democracy. We fight and die for democracy, and yet we oppress children. Yes, you wanted to say what? It was very hard for me to blame my mom as a little girl because she was so controlled. She was so controlling? She was so controlled. No, she was controlled, so she tried to control me. She Say was, again, she controlled you? Yeah. But he says, she, she says... She was controlled She was as a also child, controlled So as a how child. did she know how to love me? Yes. She didn't know. Oh, exactly, and that's what this exercise so is for. I'm, I'm mad at you. It's hard for me to say I blame you because she didn't know as a little girl, and then I imagined her dying, and I still couldn't. I could hear her saying she's sorry, but I'm in the point in my life right now that it's very hard for me to get her to admit that she's done something wrong and that we need to talk. Well, let me say this. Some of you who have had severe abuse, you have to go through an anger stage. Uh, you may not be able to get to, I mean, in the chapter that I do this in the book, it's a whole process. And you, you grieve your own grief first. Then you grieve your mother's grief or your father's yes, grief. You had this question. What was your question? Well, I've been going to some of your workshops on healing the inner child. And I, listening to what you're saying now, don't you have to go back and finally start really loving yourself before you can love anyone else? Absolutely. And I found that through recognizing that child inside of me, it's, I've been a more effective parent. I've been a more effective friend, although very, that very child good. has been very resistant. Very good point. I mean, I assume in this book that people have some knowledge of the other book. Embracing my inner child was wonderful because it's a way to have self-love and self-value. And I'm, you know, from, from Jesus Christ to Bernard of Clairvaux to every psychologist that's ever studied this, we know you can't love anyone unless you love yourself. And this caretaker, I give my life for you, but I don't love me, I don't get my needs met, doesn't work for me and it doesn't work for a lot of people because we don't love ourselves first. Loving the inner child is a way to embrace yourself, and as I love myself, I can love you. Just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince. 
Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Well, John Bradshaw is here to help us learn how to create love. That's the name of his book, Creating Love in Our Lives, and to improve all of our relationships, whether it's with your husband, your children, or even your co-workers. So far, he has shown us how to separate ourselves from our false idea of love. And the next stage is? Well, the next stage is owning ourselves, like owning the inner child, uh, that, that I've got to embrace myself although I may have to embrace confusion or emptiness first. I mean, like when you really do that separation, you feel emptiness. Uh, and, and it's why that often we'll get out of one relationship and get into another one as fast as we can to cover up the emptiness. Mm -hmm. and, and the emptiness is not bad. I mean, it's, it's like that's the way I can begin to get to my own feelings and my own needs to stay with the confusion. Confusion isn't bad. Creativity comes out of confusion. I mean, when you know everything, you can't create anything out of that because you already know all the answers. So, so if, if, if people will just stay, okay, love is not as neat and tidy as I thought. That's the first thing that I say to myself. It's human, and as human, well, it's going to... somebody gonna... ought to tell all these people who are getting married every Saturday that. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, they, we should. They, really, because I, you know, you see, they, everybody has this illusion that it's this great, big, happy, happy, dory thing, and it's not. And love, and when you're in love, you're out of your mind. You know, remember that. <laughs> uh, when you fall in love, you're out of your mind. I mean, and you go right back into infantile symbiosis. Cupid is a baby with an arrow. So you gaze at each other and you talk baby talk. Uh, okay? Now, now, it's a wonderful state. But it's only the beginning, and it's really not love. It's a biological bonding phenomena. Uh, and so we got to get that, and we got to educate. Oh, so that's not love, that goo-goo stage? No, it's, it's, a pre, it's a precursor to love, and it's wonderful. I mean, you lose weight, and you comb your hair, and you, you say your best stuff. But when you get married, the boundaries bounce back, and here comes the Hatfields and the McCoys. Yes. One you thing say? love is is a process. It what? takes time. You wanted to say what? Yes, sir. Yes, John. I learned from an early stage in life as a child that love hurts. And in saying that, my mother would say, I'm going to whip you, but it hurts me worse than it hurts you. I never understood that because I was the one getting the whipping. You yeah, see. right. You wanted to. But however, this has been a very good therapeutic thing for me in my marriage today, even in unconditional love. By her doing that, it let me know early that love hurts. But mom really loves me because all my needs are met. She washed, she cleaned, she ironed, she made sure everything I needed, I had. And that which I didn't need and wanted, she said, pray for. So that taught me not to treat her as a goddess, but to look to God from which cometh my help. But it has helped me today with my wife. And I did have a fantasy, perhaps, as to what love might be when you get married. Yeah. But the reality has come in because 
I can look back and look into my childhood and my mother taught me early that love hurts. And therefore, as long as my wife continue to cook, clean, <laughs> feed me, I'm gonna always be there because sharing is caring and love hurts. I learned that early and, I, and, and as long okay, as she does I, that, I, I know I, she loves me. I think me. that's a real good lesson, but I don't think it only hurts. And I don't believe that beating children is an act of love. I don't believe that. Well, of course, it feels good sometime too, John. Yeah, I mean, I used to want to say, well, look, if it hurts you more than me, let me do it to you. Uh, right. Uh, uh, you know, I sure don't want you to hurt here. Uh, but I, I think that the point is good that, look, if love was easy, we'd all have it. It's not easy. It's exactly. hard. And that's another thing that we've got to learn, that it's going to take time, it's going to take attention, it's going to take effort, it's going to take commitment, it's going to be a decision much more than a feeling. In love is a feeling, love is a decision. And I think that's a real important distinction. Now, if you grow up in a family and you can never have your own will, then how can you make a decision? Because hmm. you've never been allowed to make a decision. So when you're in your fault self, you're just a robot acting out a role of a false self. So in love is a feeling and love itself is a decision. A absolutely. At well, least that's a major distinction. As I said earlier, you speak a lot about soulful love. How do we begin to find that? Well, I call soul whatever is most human in us, like soul music, soul food. Uh, soulful love is when we're being the most human. Being human means imperfect, limited, not having unrealistic expectations. The, the wounded child wants the unconditional love of mother, uh, but I can't expect that of my wife or, or my spouse or the person I'm in a relationship with. Adults have conditional love. That is, we contract, I, I love you, you love me. The child expects unconditional love. So when people get married, they start making demands. You never, can't you ever, and I always, and you never, and you, and you hear two children just screaming at each other two very deprived children screaming for the developmental needs that they didn't get. That's what's so interesting about marriage, if you don't understand how marriage works, how it really works, because you pick, as you say in your book, as uh, a number of people have written about this also, that you pick the person who has the traits of your parents and most of the negative traits of your parents. So it's like two four-year-olds coming together, exactly. actually. I draw little pictures of big people and little people. And there's a contract between the big people, I will love you forever. And the kids are going, oh boy, you're my mother. Oh boy, you're my father. You're going to be the father I never had. You're going to be the mother I never had. It's an unrealistic expectation. So what's going on in your marriage? Well, we're separated and we're trying our darndest to work it out. We were married, we've been married for two and a half years. When we were married, we brought our childhoods into our marriage, not knowing what they were. And it exploded in our face. Yeah. <laughs> um, Someone always told me that I'd marry someone just like my dad, and I did. I yeah. did. Most and people do, though. See, see, that's the mystification, that we're walking around in a kind of a trance. And mm -hmm. forgive, you know, first thing to do is forgive yourselves. You did the best you could. Second thing is you're responsible for your wound, and he's responsible for his wound. If you try to make him take care of your wound, and he tries to make you take care of his wound, it won't work. Then you're back in the source relationships. For example, I have engulfment issues with women because my mother more or less engulfed me. So, so what happens when I start getting too close, I want out of there, okay? But I always find women who have abandonment issues. Do you, you get this? So the second I'm getting out of there, they're going crazy over here. Now what I've learned and what I'm creating in a relationship 
is that I take responsibility for my wound, right? I'll say, look, I'm in my wound right now. Or she might say, I'm in my wound. And then we negotiate. But I don't try to take care of her wound or else I'm back in my source relationship. See, I'm back trying to make my mom happy. And that, that's so interesting. Don't y'all think that's interesting? Because that's what people marry for. They marry. They be marry because you want that person to take care of your wound. Exactly. And the person never can take care of your wound. No, no, they can't do it because <laughs> you would have to be a child again and they would have to be your parent. Absolutely. Oh, then so, how does it ever work? <laughs> well, it works if two people, you know, like I say, we have to grow up. We have to embrace our loneliness. I am responsible for my wound. I can't blame that on my mother or anybody else. I need to fix it. I need to grow up. That's the, you know, that's the issue. When I'm willing to do that, I can say, look, I'm, this is about me and my history. It's not about you. I'm feeling overwhelmed right now. I need a day by myself. And two people can contract that and work it out. But isn't the problem in a lot of marriages that the person thinks the other person is causing their problem, that oh. they don't relate the problem that's going on in the marriage to whatever happened with the wound, and they think the spouse is the one who's creating the problem for them? Absolutely. I think if you're never getting your own needs met, if you're angry all the time, or you're depressed all the time, that somehow love causes both of you to grow. And, and if you're not growing, you're not expanding, then call it something else, but I wouldn't call it love. The other piece of it is, is that I've been very critical of people in my relationship because what I learned in my shame was all or nothing. I tried to be more than human, perfect, judgmental, critical, or less than human. I'd just be a slob. i just go back and forth between the two. Somehow the love is, is based on healthy shame. What's healthy shame? I make mistakes, I'm limited, I'm not God, that, that I'm human. And the person I'm with are human. I'm going to find the pantyhose all wadded up in the corner. It isn't going to be the, you know, the Mother Teresa. Uh, and, and I've got to get it that to be human is to be fallible, to make mistakes, and, and that I really accept that in my partner. I accept their idiosyncrasies and their foibles. Okay, and they so, accept mine. So as you were saying that about marriages and how you have to fix your own wounds, are, the question is, are you both willing to do that? Uh, I can speak for myself. I've, uh, I'm in a program right now where I'm kind of redefining what I am myself, learning about all the things that happened in, in the past with my, my parents. And uh, I think only by re redefining what I am will we have a chance to work together. Yeah. Redefining and then taking responsibility for yourself. Exactly. Yeah, I really support you in that. That really sounds good, both of you. The yes, you wanted to say what? I've been doing a lot of work on the inner child work and learning uh, to love my inner child. And what I'm having a problem with is the fact that when I was young, I learned that the only person I could trust was myself. I had to find my own survival skills to get through life. How do I get rid of those and that person? Because that person got me through it. Sure. Well, you see, there's sort of two extremes. One is that you just get totally absorbed and enmeshed. You become confused with the people you're with. The other is you isolate, put a wall around you, say, I don't need anybody, I can make it. And what you're describing is more that second one. See, it, it's once again, you're going to have to risk coming out. You're going to have to risk letting go of your own self-sufficiency and learn to rely on somebody. 
I mean, it's been one of the hardest things for me to let somebody take care of me because it's scary to me. Because you've been the caretaker. I've been the you caretaker, the caretaker yeah. it feels too vulnerable, you know. But like in my workshops now, I have a guy that takes care of me. I just take the breaks. And, and, and you see, I've found that by letting someone else in like that, I'm really making a contact that I've never made before and letting the person I love take care of me at times and not always being in... See, caretakers are always in control. That's another thing to remember, that one of the cover-ups for toxic shame is to control everybody. Then you can never catch me off guard. Then I can never be exposed. So, so real soulful love means equality that each one of us are willing to give up control. I had a point in a relationship where my, the lady I was with said, will you go to therapy with me? And I went, now, just a minute. You know, I'm in my head I did this. You know, I'm not going to your Mickey Mouse therapy. <laughs> and I had all this stuff, but I went. And it was the best thing I could have possibly done because it was a symbolic act of giving up control. If you will, I'd like to just read for the closing here what you say in the beginning of the book. You say, love yourself for creating your trance. Love yourself for being willing to see how you created it and how you may still be creating it. You can stop doing it now. The danger has passed. You saved a child from dying. You saved yourself. Love yourself now for the hope that you have. You wouldn't be working on yourself if you didn't have hope. Thank you very much. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah Show, the podcast. And I thank you for listening. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I got the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.